Seth, I think we need nicknames. Oh. H-Dog, you agree? <laughs> <laughs> Hey Rockers, welcome back. It's Extra Credit, the Rocky Podcast. I'm your co-host, Seth Hinckley, sitting here with the Rick Springfield to my Mike Baird, the star of the doodads, Mr. Matt Black. <laughs> wow, you're really digging deep. Rick Springfield and Mike Baird. Yeah, man. Yeah. I, I, sometimes I got to <laughs> dig deep on these things. Anyway, tell me what you're wearing, buddy. I'm wearing my Clash t-shirt. You too? Me? You wearing a Clash t-shirt too? Of course. Woohoo! All right, well, we've got to make the over-under. Uh, the over-under's <laughs> going to be a little weird on this yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. All right, dude. But they used to call themselves the only band that matters. So. And evidently, on this episode, that's true. <laughs> we'll see. We're going to see. We're going to see. What are we doing on this episode today, Matt? Well, Seth, uh, this is an idea proposed to us by a listener. Yes. Coincidentally, my wife, Becky. But anyway. Uh, <laughs> um, She's one of our best listeners. We love you, is Becky. Is that really true? Does she really listen to all the episodes or I only when does. I remind her a few times? Anyway. <laughs> um, Becky suggested that we do a podcast episode on our top five songs sung not in English but by English speakers. Yeah. I thought it was a really cool idea. So did you. And yes. Here we are. Sung not in English by English speakers? Yes. English-speaking people, Anglophones, singing in other languages. Yes. That's what it was supposed to be. Okay. Not the reverse. Not non-Anglophones singing in English, which... Which we is could, a which total would, other episode that we might common, do. And yeah, we could do that, but man, there's so many <laughs> There's so many. That. That's yeah. true. That's true. Yeah, go ahead. Criteria? You want to talk criteria? I knew... I, I'm getting your patterns down. Here we go. Uh, well, I had a few... Of course. First, for me to include it on my top five list, the use of the language had to be purposeful, interesting, and effective. Okay. I excluded any examples where I felt that the it was likely, whether I knew or not, but I felt it was likely that the singer was actually bilingual and singing in another of their okay. native languages. Okay. So an obvious one exception, an obvious one is La Bamba. I didn't by right, Richie Valens because Richie, yeah. Richie Valens spoke Spanish. Yep. Um, and I, I hate to generalize about an entire nation, but I excluded any <laughs> examples of Canadian singers singing in French, even if they're Anglophone. Canadians learn French so well in school. I felt it was the equivalent of like okay. the Scandinavian singing in English. It wasn't really fair. I also excluded folk songs like Guantanamera, for example, where okay. someone is just simply covering the pronunciation. The choice to put the lyrics, whether it was, I, I think you are different on this, but whether it was just a phrase or an entire verse or whatever, right. it had to be a conscious, purposeful choice and it had to work in its effect. Right. Those are my criteria. What about you? Obviously, we're saying Anglophones singing in another language, so... Even if there was a singer on a record who was singing in another language that wasn't Anglophone, so a song like Desert Rose by Sting is out because he only sings in English on that one. And there's a second singer yeah, it, who right, sings right. Yeah, that's in, not a, him singing. in, in yeah. a native language. So. Right. Good one. Good point. And the other language has to be integral to the song in some way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. And it's not just stuck in for no reason. It's not saying merci beaucoup just because it rhymes with the rest of the line right. and it sounds cool. There's got to be some intentional reason for putting it into the song. So, Good criteria. Over under. Where do you have the over well, under? Because I'm curious about <laughs> this now, especially since we're both wearing class shirts. When we come up with a podcast topic, yeah. usually a few examples, a few things I'm think considering using jump right into my head. Yeah. And as I think about it more, as I dig a little bit more, I you know, some of those might get put aside for other examples, right, as I, right, things I yeah. forgot or things I didn't know about, whatever. But in this one I pretty much ended up with 
four out of the five that I that I thought of in, instantly. Instant, yeah. Uh, and I think I found there are f- surprisingly few good examples of this, so I think our over under is high. I'm going to put it at two and a half. Two and a half. Wow. Yeah. I yeah. had it at one and a half. All right. I'm going to put the over under two and a half. You t- we, well, let's let's use yours. I'll take the over if it's your if it's You're one and a half. You're going to take the over. I'll, okay. I'll take the under if it's two and a half. Mine's at one and a half, and I think I'm going to take the under on it. Ooh, you can take the under just because oh, let's see. I didn't have four songs that immediately popped into my head. <laughs> I had to do some research. Well, I had on five. This. I had five, but I one of them got knocked out. Yeah. Okay. All right. So I think you started last time. Maybe I'll, I'll start. This okay. Time. Go for it. All right. So number five on my list is Ico Ico by the Bell Stars from 1982, but it was made famous in 1989 because of the Rain Man soundtrack that it was included on. And as made, far made as, famous if you're not a deadhead. Okay. Deadheads have been singing Ico Ico for a long time before Rain Man. Yeah. Well, yeah. the Bell Stars version? No, no, no. The, the, the yeah. Grateful Dead version. The Grateful yeah, Dead version. Yeah, well, there's yeah. multiple versions of this yeah, song. Sure. And not only that... Nobody's really sure what the language is because every time <laughs> they do, every time people record this, it kind of sounds a little different. The Bell Stars version of this song is one of a number, a large number of covers of this song from New Orleans that allegedly tells the story of a confrontation between two tribes of Mardi Gras Indians. Hmm. Now, when you go down the rabbit hole on Mardi Gras Indians, it's crews, if you know what a Mardi Gras crew, K-R-E-W-E yep. is, yep. there's a group of crews, and it's ridiculously large, that are African Americans who dress up in these elaborate costumes that look like American Indian dress. And evidently, the song tells the story of a confrontation between two of these groups. So the chorus of the song has some controversy over which language it comes from. There is a camp that thinks it comes from Louisiana Creole French. And one interpretation is as follows. Now the bell stars sing, hey now, hey now. Aiko, aiko, anje. Shaka amor finu wanane, shaka amor finane. Now that in the Louisiana Creole French translates out to, hey now, hey now, listen, listen at the back. All our love made our king be born. All our love made it happen. Never knew that. Yeah, me either until I looked this up. There's another camp of folks that feel like this is from Mobilian jargon, which I literally had never heard before. Me neither. Which allegedly is an extinct Native American trade language that consists of mostly Choctaw and Chickasaw words. So the last two lines of the chorus could be interpreted as Shakimofina Danje, Shakimofina An, which translates into English as it's very good at the rear, it's a very good year. So I guess it's up to you what you think it means, <laughs> but because it's a classic song that has questionable meaning to it and the use of that language, I had to put it in there just partially because I love the song and partially because of the mystery on the language. It's integral to the song because of the history of the tune, but who knows what it means? Something close to that. It's inter- that is interesting. Yeah. I, I, you know, honestly, I didn't think of this song and I should have. It's a good choice. Thank you. Yeah. All right, what's your number five? I didn't go too far from home on this one. This is probably the first <laughs> song I thought of. It's Psycho Killer by Talking Heads. Yes. Which is a favorite for me. Uh, we perform this one, the and I love singing it. it all yeah. the time. Uh, I, I, I can't tell you what the thoughts in my head are, but anyway. <laughs> so a couple things. First of all, 
David Byrne, when he wrote the song, and the other the other band members contributed to the writing of the song. First of all, it was only the second song he'd ever written. Oh wow! It was their first hit. He was trying to get inside a twisted mind. That was the thing. But if you listen to the verses, they don't really have. I mean, there's a little bit of something in there. Yeah. There's but there's nothing about a psycho killer. Right. And the choruses, which are qu'est-ce que c'est, is the one phrase in French in the choruses. That's not about a psycho killer either. But then it comes to the bridge. <laughs> and <laughs> something very dark is happening in the bridge. And uh, that's where the psycho killer part comes in. The lyrics were actually written by Tina Weymouth. They wanted to do something in French. And I'm going to get back to why they want to do something French in a second. But okay. I did not know that Tina Weymouth's mother was French and emigrated to, immigrated oh, to wow. the United States. I didn't realize that. Uh, she's from Brittany. Um, so she grew up speaking French and she spoke French well. David Byrne did not speak French well, and his pronunciation is a bit tortured. He was doing it phonetically, yeah. but you really got to imitate his pronunciation when you sing the song. You can't, you can't improve yeah. on it, otherwise you lose it. It's kind of like that. Talk about twisted. Mispronouncing the words that way makes it better somehow. I don't know how exactly that works, but it does. Off the top of my head, the the lyrics in the bridge are ce que j'ai fait ce soir-là, what I did that night, ce, ce qu'elle a dit ce soir-là, what she said that night. Je me lance vers le gloire, le gloire. I'm launching myself towards glory. Uh, réalisant mon espoir comes first. Realizing my hope, getting achieving my hope, launching myself toward glory. When you know that the, the title of the song is Psycho Killer, that's a bit creepy. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I just want to say that why was this put in French? What was the purpose of it? I don't know, but. I I suspect, because it fits. A lot of these new wave bands, these early punk bands that came up in New York and London, the Ramones, especially New York, the Ramones, Blondie, CBGB, it was really a reaction toward the overblown, bombastic rock that was much more in favor at the time. I'm I'm sorry, I'm going to throw Led Zeppelin under the bus, but personified (laughs) by bands like Led Zeppelin, many of these punk rockers, the early new wave rockers, were intellectuals or they had pretensions toward intellectualism and if in late 70s early 80s united states it was a rarity for people to have visited france or even to have had passports and uh talking heads were all art students at risd uh, art school yeah and so they had intellectual pretensions and french made them sound more intellectual and that's probably why they put it in french so psycho killer by talking heads at my number five what's your number i forget did you go for you went first what's your number four so my number four is by a German band, but they record almost, well, everything that I've ever heard them record, it was in English. So it's The Robots by Kraftwerk from 1978. It's on The Man Machine, and the language they use is Russian. Huh. There's a couple of different versions of this song, and the, the version, the, one of the newer versions is on their record Minimum Maximum. And it starts in a pitched down spoken Russian and they sing in English through a vocoder for most of the song. So it sounds like a robot. On the minimum maximum version, they repeat the Russian again in the bridge. And the original version, I think it only shows up in the bridge, or at least that's the first place it shows up. And I'm going to butcher this a little bit, but... I wouldn't even try. At first, <laughs> it says, Yatvoy sluga, Yatvoy robotnik, which translates out to, in English, I am your servant, I am your worker. And allegedly, these lines reference the Slavic origins of the word robot. I always thought robot was an English word. It's not. Oxford Languages website says that the word robot originated in the 1920s from the Czech word robota, which is defined as forced labor. The robot term was first used in, and again, I'm going to butcher this guy's name, sadly, K. Chapek, I think that's the way you pronounce it, his play R-U-R 
Rossum's Universal Robots. Hmm. I don't think we've mentioned craft work on the podcast before. I don't think so. I love craft work. They're weird, nerdy, great synthesizer band. They invented some of their own instruments, electronic instruments. And the robots, it's a great song. My daughter loves this song. And using the Russian in the front of it as a Slavic version of robot, I think is just classic. So hmm. love cool. that one. English is a very omnivorous language. I didn't know about robot, but we absorb words all the time. Oh, yeah, 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 totally. Languages. But I, I would have thought that that word came up out of science fiction or something yeah. that was written by yeah. somebody in the in the English speaking world. But no, it's a Slavic word, which is I learn something new every day when you start doing research for this podcast. <laughs> You're number four. Well, I'm going to switch it up. I'm going to move my number three to the number four spot so I can respond to your robot song. Oh, okay. Because my new number four, formerly formerly number <laughs> formerly three, number three, the is, new number four is Mr. Roboto by ah, Styx. Okay, which has a very similar theme and yeah. but a different language. The intro and the choruses are in Japanese. Right. And I won't even try the Japanese, but the intro, the lyrics in the intro say or are translated as, "Thank you very much, Mr. Roboto. Until the day we meet again, thank you very much, Mr. Roboto. I want to know your secret." That's on my honorable mentions list. Is it? Yes. Mr. Roboto and the entire album Kilroy was here by Sticks from, I believe, 1983 has not aged well. No. It is not popular amongst the kids, as they say. <laughs> um, and it's very dated when you listen to it now. And a lot of people think that's Sticks jumping the shark. Yeah, a lot of people do. But it was an enormously popular and influential album at the time. It's a concept album about a dystopian future where the authoritarian government is anti-rock and roll and imprisons yeah. rock and rollers. And Dennis DeYoung, who was singing most of the, the tracks on the album, not all, but most of the tracks on the album, of them, yeah. plays a character called Kilroy who escapes from this prison by capturing one of the robots, gutting it, and, and putting the metal skin on the outside of him to, to escape. To sneak but out, these yeah. robots represent something and the, the again the choice of japanese is very intentional yes the robots represent a couple of things first of all the dehumanization of the workforce the labor mm -hmm. force and also the economic paranoia which if you're you know if you're young and you're listening to this podcast if you don't remember in the 80s and early 90s everybody in the world had this paranoia that Japan was taking over the world economy with high quality but cheaply produced or at least cheaply sold technology, uh, cars, technology, advanced technology, yeah. um, but the, also the Walkman, autom all all automations stuff. and robotics that were going to put workers out of business. Right, yeah. So this had a bunch of themes going on in it, but the, the, the choice of Japanese was very intentional. It meant a lot to people at the time and uh, it's effective. It's effective. The album, as I say, doesn't hold up so well today but I, I, I moved this up from number three to number four so I could uh, I, I like the fact that yours was in Russian and mine was in Japanese so the, there was an overlap in the dehumanization of the workers but Styx adds the the timely paranoia of the Japanese taking over the world economy and also just robotics in general automation in general taking over at the time yeah so Mr. Roboto by Styx 1983 good choice thank you my number three, which is still number three, and, and it's going to stay number <laughs> it's three. stay number three. Is Don't Talk to Strangers by Rick Springfield. Hmm. Came out in 1982, and the language that's used is French. This whole song is about a paranoid singer not trusting his girl and telling her not to talk to strangers so that she won't fall in love with somebody else. <laughs> and the French part of the song is in the last verse where the backup singers 
They kind of shout the lines in French, allegedly to the singer's girlfriend, while Rick is singing over them. And he's hearing these lines and he's singing back to his girl. <laughs> and it's kind of a confusing deal because it's obvious that Rick doesn't speak French. I'll have to listen. So know. the lines, I'll, I'll read through the lines. Faire l'amour avec moi, which translates out to that one. Me. Yeah. <laughs> and Rick's response is, what's he saying, baby? <laughs> The next line is, Viens dormir, mon amour. Oh, Lord. <laughs> and then he says, I asked you not to talk to him. <laughs> the last couplet is, Je t'aime, donnez-moi ton cours ce soir. <laughs> wow. His response is in, in line with the line before, I asked you not to talk to him. I'm begging you. And then they drop into the chorus of don't talk to strangers. This is a great example of using a foreign language in a song that makes so much sense. And it makes the singer great effect. look yeah. <laughs> just not only is he anxious about losing his girlfriend, but he's also not smart enough to know what this <laughs> other guy is saying to her. A different don't, kind of paranoia than Mr. Roboto. <laughs> yes, much different, much different. But uh, don't talk to strangers. I think that's one of the one of the best uses of foreign language in a rock song by an cool. anglophone. Yeah, yeah. I, I, off the top of my head, I can't. I don't know if I know the song. I know the title, but I know the song. I'm definitely gonna have to go listen to that. Yeah, one. go listen to it I again. Will. It's it's kind of a deep. Everybody knows Jesse's girl, but don't talk to strangers. I know some other Rick Springfield was, songs too, but this was one, a hit. Yeah, it was a hit, but it's not one of his better known songs. Cool. It doesn't get played a whole lot. Yeah, although it probably should. What do you got for? Wait, number, number, th- number you're three. number three that's number four. It was number four, but now, and it's, now number it's number three. three. And it's okay. also in French, so that's a good Well, there we go. Counter, yeah. Man, and we should think about talking about these things beforehand so <laughs> no, we can no, get no, it's better this up. way. Much better this way. My number three song is Hungry For You by The Police okay. off of Spirits in the Material World, which is my favorite Police album. A couple of notable things. First of all, I don't think it's the best song in the album. I don't think it's even close, but it does show some things that were pretty important in that album. Stuart Copeland had given Sting an antique, I think it was a, a sousaphone or something, a French horn or something, given him some antique brass instrument. Okay. And Sting got really into playing brass, saxophones and trump- trumpets, trombones and all sorts of stuff. Didn't play it particularly well, but these are all through the album uh, Spirits in the Material will give it a very yes. interesting sound, which is completely different from the other police records. The song Hungry for You, J'aurai toujours femme de toi, which is uh, how he pronounces it in the song, is written, let's be frank, as a straight up, not a love song, a lust song. Yeah. <laughs> and it's written about Trudy Styler, who was the woman who Sting has now been married to for something like 30 years, but yeah. at the time he was married to a different woman, Frances Tamelty, and he was in love with Trudy Styler, and they were in the stages of a kind of a public affair, which was very messy at the time. So, two things. First of all, I think one of the reasons it's in French is the same reason that Psycho Killer is in French. It's a reaction to the bombastic hard rock of the 70s, and right, France yeah. lends it a little bit more of an intellectual feel. But also, Sting didn't think this song could get on the radio if the lyrics were in English, because they're pretty sweaty. I won't, <laughs> I'm not going to detail specific lyrics, but... Sweaty. Yeah, yeah. Good choice it's, of pretty, words. it's pretty, not graphic exactly, but it's, it's very un... It's not well hidden what he's talking about. He sings, not, not for younger listeners. He sings the... Int- well, no, I mean, you know, it's not today, but it's tame by today's standards. Yeah. What's notable about the song is the entire song is in French. The only English appears, he sings one line of 
hungry for you in the chorus, in the final chorus, and then the outro, he sings in English where he's just repeating, I'm still hungry for you. He just repeats it, or I'm so hungry for you. The rest of the three verses, all the choruses are all in French. His pronunciation is not great. I don't know who wrote the lyrics. I don't know if it was Sting himself, who I think could speak French. And when you see live performances of the police to French audiences, Sting does talk to the audience in French. So he may have written the lyrics himself. Yeah. And I haven't seen anyone else credited. Okay. So hungry for you in my number three spot. J'aurais toujours fond de toi by the police. You pronounce that a lot better than I ever A could. lot better than Sting does too, but that's, yeah. not, that's not saying much. What's your number so two? So my number two, it's my shirt. It's probably your shirt too. Should I stay or should I go? By the clash. No bells. No bells? I know. This is a sad oh! story. I'll tell you what happened later. How is this going to happen? <laughs> I know, okay. I know. This is on Combat Rock from 1982, and the language is Spanish. The third verse and the final chorus, while the lead is sung in English, the rest of the band kind of shouts back in Spanish in kind of a rough translation of what the lead singer is singing. You know, I could go through the whole thing. I'll just go through the, the verse part. This indecision's bugging me. Esta indecision me molesta. Which is a little different than bugging me, but okay. If you don't want me, set me free. Si no me quieres, libra me. Yeah, my Spanish is a little rusty. So is theirs. Yeah, a lot more rusty than, than mine. When you listen to it, it's definitely an English speaker or a group of English speakers I should say and they definitely are just reading this in an English accent and not trying to sound Spanish at all like I said it's a rough translation of what's going on but it's a great part of this song it really it's is. really good creative and it catches your ear especially if you have been around Spanish speakers a lot and growing up in Texas I've lived it and you hear it, it's not like just hearing Spanish. It's like hearing Spanish that's off. So you're like, wait, what is that? Wait, I got to listen a little harder. I would love to do this song with my band, but getting us all to learn the Spanish to go with that <laughs> might be a little rough. Yeah, that's my number two. Should I stay or should I go by the clash? Can, can I add a few things? Sure, yeah. Okay, well, I, I mentioned that uh, when, when we talked about this topic, a bunch of songs popped in my head, and this was the second one that popped into my head right after Psycho Killer. Yeah. And this is one of two actually I said two I said one got bumped. got bumped this was the other one that got bumped for another Clash song so I'll hold that for a second okay but um, do you know how they got the Spanish translation do you know how they got the words no so the tape operator at Electric Ladyland Studios in New York where they were ah okay. where they were recording this he didn't speak Spanish but his mother did so they decided they wanted Spanish they called up his mother and he said mom these are the words, what, what should they say in Spanish? What nobody realized is because she was Ecuadorian, this is a totally different Spanish than would have been sung in Spain, where they were picturing it from. I did so, not know that. Yeah. Okay, so that, oddly yeah. enough, that actually makes a little more sense. Well, they still don't pronounce it well. <laughs> no, no, they don't pronounce it well. Yeah. Well, anyway, that's what happened. Cool. <laughs> So I'm tempted to move my number one song to number two so I can respond to your Clash song with my Clash song, but I won't because it definitely okay. deserves to stay at my number one. And I <laughs> mentioned right. a couple times now I didn't go too far from home on this topic. My number two is Michelle by the Beatles. And I thought you yeah, were going to pick I, I that mean, one. I, again, one of the songs that popped into my head immediately and I just couldn't, it wasn't anything that it came close. Rubber Soul, 1965. And the reason I like this song for this topic is the song is about trying to communicate in another language. So yes, the, the totally. singer is trying to to make kind of connection with a girl who doesn't speak English. She only speaks French. This is the one where Paul McCartney's friend, Jan Vaughn, who was a French teacher, gave him some lyrics. She actually suggested Michel Mabel, which yeah. is what he asked for something. 
like a name and something that would rhyme with it in French. And she came up with that. This actually started as a parody. The Beatles like to make fun of people, or as they wow. probably would have said, taking the piss. And yeah. um, McCartney would perform this song with French-sounding nonsense. There were no words. It was just French-sounding syllables <laughs> at parties. And it was John Lennon who said, you know, you should really do this song up as a real song. And they did it for Rubber Soul. The other important thing about Michelle is it includes a chord we've talked about, the Gretti chord, which is a chord that the Beatles learned from jazz musician Jim Gretti, who worked at a music store that they hung out in. And he taught them this is the seven sharp nine, flat seven sharp nine of uh, I'm not even sure now because I always mess it up. It later became known as the Hendrix chord. It's the same chord yeah. that Jimi yeah, Hendrix yeah, yeah, plays yeah. in Purple Haze and many other of, uh, of his other songs. This song, with the between the language, the composition, the jazzy chords, added a lot of sophistication to pop music, which is what the Beatles did. They changed pop music from what it was when they started to what it was when they finished yeah. by being very creative. So, Michelle by the Beatles. What's your number one? All right, top of my list. And the only reason it's top of my list because it's in Latin. Whoa. Yeah. I know what you're going to use. This is a good one. I thought of this you one. You do? I think so. Okay. It's Gloria oh, by U2. Not what I was thinking. Wow. Oh. Good one. We have <laughs> zero up. cover. Uh, yeah. Man, zero uh, overlap. Yeah. So Gloria by U2. Now, this is, it's kind of a Christian praise song in a way. It's their attempt at, I won't say it's an attempt. It's their version of a hymn in my opinion. It's a great song. It's off the album October from 1981. And the first chorus is Gloria in te domine, Gloria exultate, Gloria, Gloria, O Lord, loosen my lips. So Gloria in te domine is glory be to you, Lord. And Gloria exultate is exalt in glory or exalted in glory. For a rock band to use Latin, you know, most people know that U2 has Christian roots that they've stuck with the entire time. I think the last U2 show that I went to see, Bono walked out and said, I'm going to take you to church. Hmm. And boy, did he ever. I was spending too much time trying to translate Latin and all these other things while I was looking at these things. And I didn't look up to see how often they play this one in concert. It's not one that they play a lot because it's not one of their super top hits. Oh, I love but, it. Uh, one of their first, though. It's one yeah. of their first, yeah, because Great song. It was off, it's the one hit off their second record, October. Talk about a sophomore slump. You had Boy, which had a bunch of really good songs on it. October wasn't was kind of okay. It was it was all right. Gloria is the only strong song in my opinion on that record. And then they came out with War, and they haven't stopped since. Tell me about your number one, Matt. What's well, top of the list? I am wearing my class T-shirt. Clash. And I should that. I stay or should I go was one of the first things that popped into my head. And then as I started thinking about it, and I was thinking, why do they use Spanish? Uh, they never said why. But yeah. the Clash were an intensely political band. Extremely and so, yes. at the era the Clash were recording, Spanish was an intensely political language because you had a couple things going yep. on. First of all, you had communists and authoritarian Western-friendly governments battling it out in various Central American and South American countries. Right. You had the Sandinistas. You had the Iran-Contra. Uh, right. Not Iran-Contra, sorry. Yeah, it is Iran-Contra. Yeah. The, the Contragate. Yeah, that whole thing. You also had a fascist government in Europe that survived World War II. Yes. Fran Fr uh, Francisco Franco's... Spain, it was fascist until the 70s. Yeah. And the Clash grew up in this environment where, again, Spanish was a highly politicized language. And I was like, well, why would they politicize this this pop song about, you know, being indecisive about staying with your partner or your, your boyfriend or girlfriend? Anyway, looked into a little bit more and I realized there was a song that really was much better, a better example of this 
politicization, which is Spanish bombs. And okay, Spanish yeah. bombs by the Clash contrasts the the tourism. Engli- English tourists have always gone to Spain because it's cheap and close. And as nice beaches. And has beaches. And it's warm. As yeah. Spain was transforming from a fascist dictatorship to a modern democracy, actually a monarchy, but a democratic monarchy. And these tourists were still coming to Spain. It contrasts that with the many British, American, and Canadian soldiers who went to fight against the fascists in the Spanish Civil War. Right. And yeah. it's probably the only rock song about the Spanish Civil War. <laughs> Might be, yeah. Uh, Joe Strummer of the Clash was fascinated by Spain. He always was. Just a parenthetical note, He um, when he lived in London for a while with two Spanish girls, one of whom was his girlfriend, she later went on to be uh, Palmolive, the drummer for the Slits. But that's just, a, <laughs> that's just a footnote. But he learned a lot about Spain from her. Anyway, he wanted to sing this song, at least partially in Spanish, but does not speak Spanish well and right. what results is pretty much gibberish but he's trying what, what he's singing is Spanish bombs yo te quiero y finito yo te quiero o mi corazón no idea what what you know what that actually would be in Spanish but what he's trying to say what he said he's trying to say is I want you forever I want you oh my right. heart yeah. um but he references Federico Lorca, who was a anti-fascist poet who was killed during uh-huh. the, uh, the during the Franco regime. He was inspired by the Basque separatists, who were very active in bombing Spanish tourism sites at the time. Yeah. Uh, so there's a lot going on in the song, and it's a great song, by the way, because it's set against this really beautiful pop chord progression, which you could hear in a you know an Elton John song just as easily, but delivered with this rough vocal. And, of course, these essentially made-up Spanish lyrics. So, Spanish Bombs by The Clash is my number one song. But it was going to be Should I Stay or Should I Go? And I changed it. So, got some honorable mentions? I do. Let's do uh, it. Going back to Spanish, there's one line in, uh, and it's not just the chorus of or the title of La Isla Bonita by Madonna. There's one line, Le dijo te amo which is, he said, I love you. She's quoting what the guy she's singing about said to her. Very small use of the language, but it's integral to the story she's telling. So she's at this island where obviously everybody speaks Spanish and falling in love with this Spanish-speaking man, and this is what he's saying to her. I had Michelle from the Beatles I think this is funny just because he's singing it in French, trying to get the girl to understand that he loves her, but he never says I love you in French if I'm right in the song. I think you're right. Yeah. yeah. So we're not sure if she completely understands him or not. I had Mr. Roboto by Styx. You did a great job on that Japanese. And you know, the the Japanese, when you, when you understand what it's saying when you did the translation, it's kind of a veiled start to the song that foreshadows what the whole thing is about. Right. So True. those are my honorable mentions. What are yours? I had a couple. Call Me by Blondie. The yeah. bridge is in French and Italian. Again, the attempt by New oh, Wave I didn't artists. I know this is Italian, too. There's an Italian line and a French line. Okay, so, yeah. cool. Uh, an attempt by New Wave artists to add a little sophistication to rock and roll, and it right. succeeds. Um, should I stay or should I go, of course. Yeah. I had Lady Marmalade by Patti LaBelle, which is just a great song. It's a little bit of a... It's a great it, song. Not worth getting into too much, but... Yeah. Um, also, The Lion Sleeps Tonight 
but I disqualified it partially because it's a folk song. And the what's sung in the lines of Snipe, Wim Away, yeah. is just a mishearing of the Zulu word for I am, or the Zulu phrase, I am a lion, Mbube. Oh, and okay. So it, well, I never do that. This, story, this, this song has a wild story, which I won't go into now. Who actually wrote it, how it became popular, who owned, should, should have gotten the rights to it, and so on, but <laughs> did get popular. Also, just a quick mention, there are some notable recordings, uh, for which for commercial reasons were or notable notable albums which were re-recorded in German songs and albums the Beatles did it with She Loves You and yeah. I Want to Hold Your Hand and I didn't know that Peter Gabriel re-recorded his third and fourth albums or the vocals in German for the German market wow nowadays this is irrelevant because everyone around the world can listen to whatever they want but back then if you wanted oh, to release huge. an album in, in another country you recorded it Some you, sometimes you released it in English but sometimes you re-recorded it in that the language of that country. Yeah. And uh, anyway, you can hear these things. They're interesting, but didn't they didn't have the a list. songwriting purpose for me. So <laughs> those are my honorable mentions. Cool. If you want to listen to the songs that we mentioned on this podcast in their entirety, check out the Spotify playlist that we've got in the show notes to hear them all. Seth and I have a favor to ask. If you are enjoying Extra Credit, the Rock You podcast, please do us a solid and go ahead and share it with friends. Also, if you rate and review it on whatever podcasting platform you listen, it will get to other people and that'd be good. We want more people to hear about this stuff that we think is so cool. So share, rate, review, and thank you. All right, Rockers, we're back. And Matt and I are going to talk a little bit about what we think are the best rock nicknames kind of for individuals and maybe for very small groups. I know Matt's got a few and he's looking at me and I'm wondering if we're going to have any uh, overlaps, overlaps, Without any question. doubles. Without question. I think we probably I'd will. say three or more, but I'm just looking at you because I'm thinking, <laughs> Seth, I think we need nicknames. Oh, H dog. You agree? <laughs> we should do. We can do better than that. I'm sure. <laughs> I've I've got a number of nicknames, some of which I am not going to mention on this yeah, podcast. So. Not, not, nothing terrible though for me. Yeah. <laughs> All right. You want to start? Yeah, man. I have to start with Neil Peart. I don't even know his nickname. His nickname is the Professor. Oh. And a lot of people are like, oh, he's the Professor just because he's such a great drummer. No, that's not how no he got way. his nickname. Yeah, I know he how. He got the name because Alex and Getty were comparing him to the character on Gilligan's Island. <laughs> And they're like, oh, you're the professor. Well, you know all this stuff. And then they were like the cut-ups in school, and Neil was the guy that read all the time. Yeah. And I knew he had, yeah, he always had his nose in a book, book of poetry, book of philosophy. Yeah, yeah. or multiple other things. Yeah. I mean, you know, he read a lot Serious of stuff. Ayn Rand and all that he was kind not, of stuff. He was not reading like comic He wasn't books. reading comic books. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I love this for one reason. Do you know what the professor's name is on Gillian's I, Island? I don't know. Dr. Roy Hinckley, and it's nice. spelled just like mine. <laughs> that's so great. that's got to be great. my favorite nickname that's of all time. Deep my trivia. favorite. It is. It, I, it's a deep cut. Is it ever mentioned on the show, or do you just? Like, I don't know if it's mentioned the on the show, but I yeah. found it. Found it online just because awesome. I was like, "What's the guy's actual name?" That's and I cool. looked it up, and I was like, "Wow, <laughs> wow. it's my name." That's great. <laughs> 
Give me one of yours. I'll, we'll t- go I'll back give you one of mine. Uh, okay. One of the more famous nicknames in rock and roll is Eric Clapton's nickname, Slowhand. Yeah. And I don't think a lot of people know why he was called Slowhand. I don't. And, yeah. Well, I mean, you could think it has something to do with his playing, his guitar style or something like that, but it's not. He was one of the guitarists who, like in this era, the 60s, shifted to lighter, thinner strings so he could do ah. more bends and more creative things. And he broke strings a lot. And <laughs> as was common, I guess it was common for British audiences is when he broke a string, he would change the string right there on stage. I mean, this is pre like 10 guitar techs and 50 guitars backstage and all yeah, that. Like he had yeah. to change the string himself on stage. And he was given usually a slow clap. <laughs> which I guess is also referred to in British English as a slow hand. So oh, nice. that is why Eric Clapton was known as slow hand. Nice. You got one? Yeah. Do you know who David Howell Evans is? I do, in fact, know who David Howell Evans is. Okay, for those of you who don't, <laughs> and I, <laughs> his, his nickname is The Edge. And he got that from Bono, allegedly, because Bono said that he was always able to view events from The Edge without getting involved in whatever was happening while they were in school. So he's had that nickname since they were in their teenage Kids, yeah. years. Are yeah. you going to do Bono too? Yeah. All right, so I'll save Bono for you. Uh, I'll switch over to Sting. Okay. Sting's a cool nickname. Ding, ding, ding. I had that one on my list, Okay, too. and he's a cool guy. Yeah. And so you might think, oh, he gave himself a cool nickname. No, he used to be a jazz musician in his Newcastle days, and he played upright bass in a big jazz band. Yeah. And uh, one day he wore a yellow and black striped sweater to rehearsal, and then <laughs> the band leader named him Sting, probably to try to take him down. That kind of backfired. <laughs> yeah. So that's origin of Sting's nickname. And even his mom calls him Sting. Really? That's yeah. kind of funny. <laughs> I, I found this, a video about it on right. YouTube, and he said, yeah. yeah, my mother calls me that yeah. now. But this is pre-fame. This isn't something like, oh, yeah. oh I'm getting famous. I'm going to call myself Sting. No, Just like The Edge. Yeah. What do you got? <laughs> you know yeah. who Paul Hewson is. It's Bono. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. He was given a lot of nicknames by one of his childhood friends who's not in the band, one of which was Bono Vox of O'Connell Street, <laughs> which eventually was shortened to Bono Vox and then finally to Bono. And he's had that nickname since he was 14 or 15. Do you know where it comes from? Bono Vox? Yeah. That's Latin for good voice. Yeah, but it's a hearing aid shop. In oh their yeah, hometown. it was. It was yeah. also. That's it was they, also the name of a hearing exactly. aid shop. Yeah. It's the name of a hearing aid shop. That's where they got it. All right, I'll give you one more. I got a couple more actually. But I'll give okay. you one more. Uh, the boss. Bruce Springsteen. Bruce Springsteen. A lot of people think, oh, he's rock and roll persona. He's totally in charge. No, it reflects his actual business arrangement with the E Street Band. Bruce Springsteen decided very early on in his career that he did not want to have a band. He wanted to have employees. Right. And he pays these guys. The contracts are with him. He is literally the boss of the band. He can hire and fire at will. He can decide what they get paid and so on. And the nickname came from that, not from his, you know, sort of out there alpha male persona. It actually came from the fact that his business arrangement with the band is he is the boss. They are the employees. That's right. (laughs) The last name's going to give it away. But do you know who Ian, I'm going to give you the first two names to see if you can guess who it is. Ian Fraser Blank. Well, I'm just going to guess maybe because you said the last name's going to give it away. Is it Dimebag Daryl? No. no. I don't know then. Ian Fraser Kilmeister. Oh, yeah, of course. AKA I knew Lemmy. Lemmy. Yeah. <laughs> you know where he got the nickname? No. Allegedly, when he was a kid, he would, he would always say things like, let me borrow a fiver <laughs> or lend me, as in lend me, lend me a quid. And it stuck. Nice. That's really funny. <laughs> I don't have too many more. How many you got? I got two more, but they're just... Uh, I got two more, too. So it's perfect. I'm just going to... This is an obvious one, but you can't talk about nicknames without talking about Ringo Starr. 
Ringo, okay. Ringo Starr's birth name is Richard Starkey. Yeah. Even from a young age, he wore a lot of rings, and Starkey got shortened to Star. And since that's a, a nickname that everybody knows and everybody knows why, because he wore all these rings, I will give you a little, a little bonus about his nickname. Uh, the Star part, not the, not the Ringo part. Ah, okay. When Ringo Starr was the drummer for Rory Storm and the Hurricanes before the Beatles poached him, because they played together in uh, Hamburg, and yeah. they say, this guy's better than our guy. Um, plus he can sing. Plus he can sing. They used to, and that's what the that's what the fact is about. They used to do a little segment in their shows, Rory Storm and the Hurricanes. They used to do a little segment called Star Time, where Ringo would get oh, out wow. in front of the mic, sing a couple country tunes. I don't know who played the drums, and uh, go back to the <laughs> drum kit after it was done. So Ringo Starr. All right. So my last two are both two guys. Are you going to do? I have one more. So you want to do one, and I'll do one. Or you got? Yeah, it? yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm just saying. Okay. I'm gotcha. just gotcha. letting you know okay, it's okay. not individuals anymore. I it's, see. Yeah, it's right. Groups. Well, I can guess what one of them is, but go ahead. Well, you're probably going to guess the Glimmer Twins. The Glimmer Twins is what I was going to guess, which I, is Mick Jagger and Keith Richards, yeah. and it was because of their penchant for using illegal substances. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine what you're talking about. Uh, yeah, me either. <laughs> <laughs> My last one is a nickname that's not a nickname. Okay. The supremely creative and influential guitarist of the Smiths is named Johnny Marr. Johnny Marr, yeah. And people who, like us, live in Paris as Anglophones have learned that if you say Johnny Marr, it means I'm sick of it. Yeah. And I always assumed that Johnny Marr was a stage name based on the French phrase, I'm sick of it, Johnny Marr. It's actually his birth name. John, yeah. Jonathan Marr. Uh, spelled, yeah. spelled differently than he spells it now, but basically this, I think, M-A-H-E-R, possibly. Maybe, or, yeah. But whatever. But that's his actual name, which I think is super cool. By the way, other nicknames that are not nicknames, Prince and Madonna. That's Those are their birth names, too. Those are their yeah. actual names yeah. on the birth certificate, yeah. yeah. All right, the last one I've got, do you know who the Toxic Twins are? I do not. Because you're not an Aerosmith fan. It's Steven Tyler and Joe Perry. And they got that name for the same reason that Mick Jagger and Keith Richards got the name, the Glimmer Twins. Glimmer Twins were taken, so they had to go somewhere else. (laughs) So was there something on this podcast that you wanted to talk to us about? (laughs) Did we get something wrong? Do you not agree with some of the stuff that we said? then you need to email us at podcast at rock-u.fr. All right, Rockers, we're back, and it's 60 seconds of insanity. It's the one-minute matchup. Which one is this one? The question is, is it rock and roll if it doesn't have guitar? We're going to do 60 seconds on this? I bet I come in. I I can do 10. I'm I'm thinking I can come in under. (laughs) I think so, too. All right, am I going first or you? Sure, you go first. All right, ready? My minute starts now. Okay, Uh, my answer is duh. Yes, obviously. Uh, Fats Domino, Little Richard, Jerry Lee Lewis. You guys recognize these names? Elton John, Stevie Wonder, Kraftwerk, The Pet Shop Boys, Howard Jones, who did not have a guitar on his first two albums. Uh, Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, uh, Joe Jackson, Royal Blood, who only has bass and drums. And then there's great songs like Dreamweaver by Gary Wright, no guitar on it. Eleanor Rigby by your guys, The Beatles, no guitar on it. The Logical Song by Supertramp, no guitar on it. I rest my case. With 15 seconds to spare, 45 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> All right, here's the watch. Okay. 
should I should I let the seconds go because we got the tick 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 thing going or what? <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure how long it's been. I'm sure we're good now. You can cut it off, right? I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, we never cut off the tick tick tick. Anyway, <laughs> all right, Matt, your minute starts now. No, it's not rock and roll if it doesn't have a guitar. I'm kidding. Of course it's rock and roll. <laughs> you basically said everything I was going to say. I had Jerry Lee Lewis written down. I had a bunch of things. I'll give you a more modern example. The song We Will Rock You, except for the outro, has no instruments at all. It's right. just voices and hand claps. There's plenty, and stomping. And stomping. Yeah, there's plenty of great rock and roll with no guitar on it or minimal guitar. There's a whole genre of you know music, 80s new wave, where the guitar is the basically the guitarist's job was to get coffee for the rest of the band. There's <laughs> yeah, piano synthesizers can do a great job of replicating guitar. Other instruments like violin, like I love the Water Boys. They do have an acoustic guitar, but all yeah. the all the lead work is done by the violin. Um, yeah, it's a Jerry Lee Lewis, like you said. It's a it's a home run. There's, of course, you can rock with any instrument. Forty eight seconds, dude. Good job. We ought to come up with some questions where we yeah, don't we agree. Yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe next time. Maybe oh, next I, time. I forgot to mention too. Um, in a future top five, I actually have a song that has no guitar. Well, you're going to have to tell us about that when we get when there. we get back. <laughs> a couple episodes away. Hey campers, spring break is coming up really soon. If you don't want to be bored at home, your parents aren't taking anywhere, come rock out with us April 24th through May 5th. We are doing spring break camps for ages 8 to 16. Check them out on www.rock-u.fr. Extra Credit, the Rock You podcast is brought to you with support from our partners at Big Pebble Records. Big Pebble Records is your one-stop shop for all music production in Paris. Everything from the composition to the creative side, to the recording and engineering, to the mixing and mastering, to the distribution and publication and publicity. Check them out at www.bigpebblerecords.com. And of course, you will hear lots of Rock You musicians on that label. Extra Credit, the Rock U podcast, is a production of Rock U. Expertly engineered and recorded by my good friend Seth Hinkley. And our theme music is written and produced by Tom Walters. Rock U is a nonprofit association, Loi 1901, and we'll see you next time.